Serenity is not a destination. It's a practice. Uh, and it's like a muscle that you train, and you have to train it again and again. And bad news, if you try to train your, or to start practicing your serenity, when you are facing a crisis, good luck with that one. Yeah. Welcome to the Connected Leadership Podcast, hosted by Andy Lapata, the show where Andy and his guests explore the many ways in which relationships impact business decisions, make leaders' jobs easier, and help you to progress your career. Hello and welcome to the Connected Leadership Podcast. I'm Andy Lapata. Thank you very much for joining me. We're going to talk about leading under pressure today. Uh, so much, and I, I know I reference this a lot in, in the podcast, leaders have had to contend with so much over the last few years, and that doesn't look like it's going to change anytime soon with everything that's happening with inflation and, and, and potential recessions around the globe, and of course the uncertainty in the energy markets and what's happening in Ukraine. So uh, it's a particular need, a particular skill of leaders to be able to cope with the unexpected, to handle pressure and remain calm and serene in a storm as the storm rages all around them. And my guest today is an expert in managing that and helping leaders to do so. He's an international inspirational speaker. He's an expert on self-esteem, serenity, motivation, engagement and inner peace. He's spoken to audiences in four continents. One of the, the reasons I wanted him on, to, on the podcast is he has a very interesting background. He's, he's had decades of entrepreneurial experience, but he combines that with his studies of economics, Buddhist philosophy, which he studied with uh, Tibetan monks, scholars in India, uh, and also personal development and energy psychology in the US. So there's a lot that goes into that mix. And it's that I want to tap into because, of course, when you come to professional relationships, your ability to stay calm, to stay uh, serene under pressure um, really has a big impact on how people perceive you and how they engage with you. So I'm joined by Martin Lashkolnik, uh, who's joining us from Austria, and he's going to talk to us all about leading under pressure. Martin, thank you very much for joining me on the Connected Leadership Podcast. It's an absolute pleasure, Andy. Great joy to be here. And, and a pleasure for me as well. I'm looking forward to a very calm 45 minutes or so ahead of us. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I said in the introduction that we have been through a tumultuous few years, and I'm sure people are bored of me saying that and bored of, uh, of everyone else saying that, but it's, it's one of those inescapable truths. Uh, and you've been working with leaders in all types of organizations around the world all through that period. So what's the good and bad you've seen? How have you seen your clients handle this? How have you seen global leaders, people that we'd recognize handle this? And who's done it well? And who has perhaps not done it uh, in the best way they could? All right. That's many, many different aspects of fundamentally one issue. And I have noticed, actually, that my clients have booked me uh, recently more and more. And a common theme that that appeared in the briefings was how do we deal with people when the fuse is getting shorter and shorter? So people blow up for no reason, apparently. Well, uh, no, it's not for no reason. Uh, it's the enormous pressure that we are all are under. And the, the thing is that 
if the if the bucket is already full to overflow, then just a, a tiny little, seemingly totally insignificant thing is enough to make it overflow, and then people blow up. And especially then when you're dealing in an, in a multinational uh, environment, uh, as I had some some clients this summer. Uh, who are people even even bringing wor- workforce back from the Ukraine to to Germany in that case, and then try to reintegrate them into into the workflow and and give them an employment at at the at the head office. And they they contacted me because they said this is this is becoming a real challenge. How how do we deal with people like that? So we I gave a series of talks on this. Uh, one is how, how to stay serene in, in in the face of crisis. And also, how do you, uh, what do you do with team members that you perceive to be in a crisis? And in that briefing, then actually I had to tell them, okay, we also have to talk about what you don't do. Because as a leader of a team, it, it's not your responsibility to do crisis intervention because you're not trained for that. There are very, uh, very simple things. And, and we have to, uh, we have to really distinguish uh, whether somebody is traumatized or somebody's in a crisis. So this is two different issues. Uh, and a crisis is, a life-changing crisis would be something that's happening in your life, but still you maintain a degree of control, a degree of personal empowerment that you can affect change or at least control the way it's unfolding to a degree. And when somebody gets traumatized, Usually there's an element of total overwhelm in there. They are not able to do anything. And the the interesting thing is uh, when you deal with people who have been truly traumatized, especially in a work environment, you have somebody coming in, you talk to them, they seem to totally understand, they leave the office and they recall nothing. Nothing. Not a thing. So if you're suppose or if you if you suspect that that there's such a person there do a lot of writing give them a checklist so now next step is you go to uh, mrs so and so from hr and get this and that form or this and that uh, connection to a counselor or whatever but just that because you told them and it's their next step don't presume that they have retained the information most likely they haven't because it's so hard for them to, to focus on anything because the, the, the inner pressure is so huge uh, that it consumes all the energy you have. And so helping those people is, is one way. Give them something in writing. Give them some simple steps. Help them come back to the present. This is something that's, that's, really, uh, that's really, really key uh, because when we are in a crisis mode, when we're in a trauma mode, then we get lost in the occurrence of the past. And don't ask them to talk about it because they might get re-traumatized or you might get traumatized even by just hearing of the atrocities they have to to go through. That that can very well happen. So, But help them to begin in the here and now, just to be present. It's simple, small steps. And then ask, find help them find a good counselor, somebody who really knows what they're doing uh, to get treatment uh, because we all need support. And, and this is one of my, my big pet peeves, uh, the 
this stigmatization of mental health issues uh, in our society. If you have an, a burst appendix, you are rushed into the ER. But if somebody is in severe psychological crisis, they might have to wait half a year for an appointment with a psychologist. How can that be? I mean, okay, I'm, I'm losing my serenity on this right now. Yeah, so. <laughs> <laughs> that didn't take long, did it? <laughs> now, and, and it brings me actually to a very important point. So, but to, to, just to close that one. So if somebody is in a crisis, uh, be understanding, be present with them, uh, be comforting, but don't try to fix the issue with them because you're most likely, I suppose, you're not trained for that. Uh, and you could actually do more harm than not. But staying present with those people, uh, I had a friend of mine who was a, a psychologist, and he said there, there are three uh, rules, the three most important steps in crisis intervention is one, give comfort, two, give comfort, three, you got it, give comfort. So making people present and just just the notion alone that there is somebody who cares can make a huge difference. So, and in following up on that, actually, it's so serenity is not a destination. It's a practice. Uh, and it's like a muscle that you train and you have to train it again and again. And bad news if you try to train your or to start practicing your serenity when you are facing a crisis, um, good luck with that one. <laughs> that probably won't work. But to the degree uh, that you have an option that right now, start with something small. It's, it's always, we always so much underestimate what we can do with small steps consistently over time rather than do is, and that's the same whether you, you talk about uh, a relaxation practice, uh, doing yoga, doing meditation, whatever it is. Um, don't say, okay, now next weekend I'll sit down for three hours and meditate properly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, well let, let's, um, let's break this up a little bit because I think, there's, there's, as you said, there's a number of different elements to right. this. Um, and uh, I, I just want to highlight one key thing you said and then, turn the conversation around to where you're going now <laughs> so you, you said there's a really important point there and it was one that I wanted to draw out from what you were saying uh, and that is there can be a temptation particularly with the increased focus on mental well-being that we have in the workplace now right uh, for leaders to try to do more than they are able to do Correct. in terms of intervention when someone's in crisis and you have to know your limitations. Now, there are some leaders yes. that do this brilliantly. I, I share in, in, in my book, Just Ask, the story of Phil Jones at Brother, who's been a guest on the podcast, um, who, who provided superb support for a member of his team whose wife had left him uh, and, and was able to listen. And that was his key skill. And it did still come down to what you said, comfort, 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 and then direct him to some resources that he had that ability. Um, but, and I think this is one of my potential faults is that I'm a fixer by nature. <laughs> and when someone tells me their challenge, I want to fix it. And I think there are those of us right. that do, and we have to know when to stop. So I just want to stop and highlight that point. Yes. 
But and and may I may I piggyback on that? Yeah. Uh, being a fixer, that's that's a, a and it's out of the best intentions, right? We we genuinely care for the well being of other people, and and we want to help them succeed and and be be their best and live their full potential. Um, and uh, if if we are looking a little bit into nonviolent communication, then a, a big tenet there is you cannot provide a solution until the person with the problem has the feeling that they have been heard. And that's that's one of the huge, huge problems uh, that, okay, yeah, no, I got, I got your problem. Okay, I and, and I know how to fix it. Let's do this. And this is also like in, in, in uh, reclamation management, like when, when people are complaining about things, just a little... Oh, I understand. You think that blah, 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 blah is happening. And if you hit it, you, you will see a sigh going through that other person. Oh, yeah, yeah. So finally, somebody understands me. And only then, and that might take only two minutes, and only then they will be ready to actually accept looking at a solution. Because first they want to be seen in their misery. It's not the fountain pen that doesn't work. It's about that it failed in that crucial moment of that signing that important contract with that big, big client they have been looking forward and it spoiled it all. And they want to be acknowledged for that failure. They don't want a new fountain pen. Well, they do. But uh, first of all, they bought it for this special occasion and that's they, what they want to have acknowledged. So giving comfort, listening, uh, and reflecting back to them what you heard from them is a hugely important step before you can go towards any solution. Completely. And, and when I've jumped to fixer mode, I've learned that very often people aren't looking for a solution. As you say, they're looking to be heard. Uh, and it's recognizing that and actually finding out what they want, what they want from the conversation. So that's one element of it. And I think these are all very valuable, really important points. And there's a but here. But <laughs> what I want to focus on here is actually, and you touched on it early in your answer and then towards the end of, 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 of your first answer, I want to focus on the serenity of the leader when they're in crisis, when right. they're surrounded by it, rather than, you know, I, I do, part of that is, when other people around you are losing their heads, but it's about how you stay grounded first. Uh, and you started talking about that towards the end of that answer. You know, you, you can't just uh, become decide to become serene, particularly not when you're in the middle of a crisis and you, it's a muscle that you build up bit by bit. But let's look at that. With everything that's been going on through the pandemic, with the financial crisis, with the uh, war in Ukraine, and all of the uncertainty that that provides, what can leaders do to make sure that if it, I have a client who lost substantial sums uh, in the currency markets, just in mm. terms of how they're paid um, when uh, the government here had a mini budget in the UK that crashed the economy. Um, when that happens and all of your goals that you were on target to reach suddenly shift and change, and everyone's in panic mode, how do you stay calm so that you can navigate your way through to a solution? Well, there are, there are, there are several aspects of that. So the, the, the first one that I alluded to before a little bit is 
find your mini steps, your mini mini recreational activity, your mini relaxation activities. Uh, it's, it's far better to meditate for five minutes a day. Uh, just simple, and, and meditation is sometimes an imita- intimidating word. Uh, what I mean here is just breathing. Focus on your breathing. You sit down uh, in, a, in a good pose. Uh, watch the, the, the air flow of air out of your nose and back in. And just stay with it. And don't worry. Thoughts come up and they say, okay, this is stupid. and all. That's all fine. That's, that's the creativity of the mind. And whenever a thought arises, unless it's something really pressing that you definitely f- forgot to take care of, then take a little piece of paper, write it down and get it off your mind. But otherwise, just bring your mind back to the focus, to, to your breathing. And you'll notice that after one minute, two minutes of, of conscious breathing, your stress level will already go down. And do this over time, a practice over time, uh, it, will, it will bring so much, so much benefit. And there are then different other techniques that I want to touch on briefly afterwards. So this is the one thing. The other thing is, it's, there is, it's a point in mindset. Uh, we humans are under the belief that we can control everything. And, um, well, sort of your monkey mind in your head, yeah, the, the, the institution up there that goes on worrying about everything uh, and building the horror scenarios in five different ways of what all could go wrong, etc., etc. This is what in Zen Buddhism they call the monkey mind. Uh, jumping from one thing to the next, not focused at all, but huge, hugely successful in, in worrying and, and doing all that stuff. So realizing that monkey mind wants to control everything, and so does the monkey mind of eight other billions on this planet. And uh, given that we are actually on a pretty insignificant piece of rock in a very small solar system on the uh, far outside of a huge galaxy, um, this maybe will bring the realization that we cannot have control of everything. So acknowledging that is already a very important first step because that leads them to the realization to say, okay, where is my sphere of influence and where is my sphere of concern? And for most people, the sphere of concern, given when you watch the news, uh, hello, is much bigger than your sphere of influence. Try drawing it back to your sphere of influence. Focus on what you actually can influence rather than what you cannot. And people then sometimes say to me, okay, but what about our goals and, and that our objectives? We, we, we must reach our objectives. Uh, I beg to differ. Yes, we would like to reach our goals. But what we can do is, and we should do that, do our very best with what we have got. But Actually, the outcome is none of our business because there are way too many other variables at play. Uh, just say, okay, uh, we just had the pandemic and we thought, okay, that was bad enough. And, and, and then uh, the situation in, in Ukraine with, with Russia invading uh, occurred. Hello. Yeah? And, okay, or you could try to, to expand your sphere of influence, um, take rulership of the world and fix it, uh, but that might be a little bit a tedious task. Uh, so uh, I think the simpler way is to realize, okay, what am I truly responsible for and bring your zone of concern back to that circle of influence So then, because then you bring back the power to yourself. So 
dealing with crisis, dealing with difficult people, etc., is first of all, first and foremost, all about self-leadership. You need to lead yourself first. And only when, when you do that, and so there are se- several different ways to do this. Yeah? But the first one is the realization, bring, bring your zone of concern back to your zone of influence, what you can actually take care of. So this is the first thing. Um, the second thing is that, that our monkey mind tends in, in apocalypt- to think in apocalyptic scenarios. Yeah? The world will end. And actually, uh, when we have a close look, even if what is the possible worst thing that could happen, and then really plot it out, what is the, the absolute worst thing? And we will notice that underlying there are those issues of self-worth, of, of not feeling not good enough, imposter syndrome, and all of, the, of these things. We say, okay, if I fail at this one thing, it will be all over. And actually, when we look closely, no, nothing will be over. We, we are still alive. We are there. So, and we can start new uh, with whatever we have got. Maybe the, the, the environment changes. Maybe the, the, the scope of things that we can do changes. So about that, that uh, client of yours uh, who, who lost this, this huge sums of money, this is very disconcerting. Absolutely. And in a, in a bigger perspective, did he lose his ability uh, to make a living? Or did, did he lose some, some massive uh, faculty in his health? So all, if all those things are still present, this is just material. Just don't get me wrong. Uh, nobody wants to go broke. Nobody wants to go bankrupt. Uh, but at the end of the day, it is just a material uh, environment factor that we can replace. Yeah, and even more so in their case, because as a multi-million dollar in global business, it impacted more their targets and, and shifting than anything else. Right. Uh, and, and there's a couple of important things that I want to just, uh, again, draw attention to there. Uh a lot of what you said reminded me of a couple of, of programs that I've been on and what I've taken from those, that the, the idea that you can only manage what you have control of. Mm. Uh, and, and, and I think that's a very powerful uh, thought. That there's a wonderful acronym that I share with so many of my clients uh, that I learned from a guy called Beju Solanke, who's a coach's program I went on, probably have mentioned it on the podcast before, and it's NATO. Uh, in fact, I used it in a mentoring session this morning. Uh, NATO is not attached to the outcome. Right. Do what you can control uh, and do the right, follow the right steps, but don't worry about what happens. Just adjust your journey based mm. on, on on it. And, and the other is just a reference to uh, a couple of works you may be aware of and, and uh, a guest on, on the Connected Leadership podcast from a year or two ago. Um, so there's a couple of books that talk very much about the monkey mind. Uh, the, the famous one, the most famous one is The Chimp Paradox by uh, Professor Steve Peters. Uh, and then there's Sumo, Shut Up, Move On by Paul McGee, uh, Professor Paul McGee, who's been on the pod. And what I'll try and do, I, I often uh, reference other uh, episodes uh, when, when things like this come up. We'll look and we'll try and put a link into the into the show notes so people can then dive deeper into the the monkey mind, uh, the the, the, yes. the uh, 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 prenatal cortex. Pre, uh, I'm getting that completely wrong. Um, 
uh, frontal cortex or something like that. I, I've gone blank. My chimp is screaming in my ear at the moment. Um, uh, but but Paul will Paul will express it better than me. And I'll remember once we once we stop recording the podcast exactly what I was supposed to say at that point. But I won't edit this out because I want to be honest in the podcast. Um, okay, you you mentioned in there meditation, right? And you talked about it doesn't have to be this deep thing. It can just be focused on your breathing and so forth. I know a lot of people who are very uh, focused on their spirituality. They're very focused on their meditation. They'll go away and they will find time to meditate at least once or twice a day. Uh, and they'll do that even in a busy workplace. I equally know people who dismiss it or who struggle with it. And I personally have tried to practice and embed meditation into to my life on, on a number of occasions, and I have struggled to maintain it uh, for whatever reason. Having said that, before a keynote talk yesterday where I could feel my heart beating really fast, I was very nervous before the talk, I sat there and I listened to my breathing. I just tried to, to, to breathe in. So I've taken those elements from it. How important is diving into that spirituality to really finding that ability to lead calmly you know we talked about the beginning in the intro i talked about you studying buddhist philosophy with with tibetan monk scholars uh, how important is it to really understand that and if someone does struggle you talked about focusing on your breathing but how deep should they go and what are the best ways for them to just get to the level they need to what, what do you mean by how deep should they go to really be able to use this these techniques to be able to understand how to calm yourself how to how to control your thoughts effectively right. and, and and calm the mind how much do you need how much time do you need to invest well, in mastering uh, some say spirituality is everything we are spiritual beings who have a material body And some say, who cares? And the truth is both. Because one of, one of my, my heroes in that field is a, is a fellow Austrian, actually, who lives in New York, uh, in New York and in Austria, uh, David Steindl-Rast. He's a Benedictinian monk, and he uh, founded the gratitude.org platform. And he has done lots of inter-religious inter work with Buddhism and Hinduism and so on. And I've heard him say one day that what does it actually, because uh, actually it was my daughter at the age 10 who asked him this after a talk where he spoke an hour and a half about spirituality. Uh, and she went up and said, okay, I, so what does spirituality mean? And he just said, It means being alive. So what is it that makes us feel alive? What is it that, you know, each and every one of us has had experiences where they found contentment or even maybe bliss by looking at beautiful things, by a certain conversation, by hearing a piece of music. Uh, so each, each and every one of us has this This notion that this inkling inside 
where they realize, okay, there is something that nourishes my soul, where I feel, I feel at ease, where I feel at peace. And that is spirituality. And however you find that in your life, you know, okay, sure, I have, I've had a 30 years of exposure to Buddhist practice, and I'm doing a lot of energy psychology techniques. Uh, some, some may have heard of, of tapping, where you tap on acupressure points to, to release stress. This is something that's hugely important. Uh, and if we talk in the focus of, of our talk today here, how to, how to deal with, with stressful situations, uh, then it's about finding back to your center, finding back to your core, coming back to that, that piece or that point in you where you go like, okay, yeah? breathe, chill. Yeah? And find the way you do that. And, and one, of, one of my teachers once said that uh, fear is a shallow breather. And I found that very enlightening. It's uh, so true because if you are in an acute state of fear, uh, Take a moment, go to the loo if you have to, and take a few deep breaths. Everybody don't want to do that at the loo, but it's like, uh, but <laughs> rather go outside, go outside in the, in the fresh air. But uh, what about better, better advice? Find, yeah. find an environment that's that's quiet and peaceful where you're on your own, um, and and take a deep breath and do this a few times, and it will. Reduce the the absolute inset or this 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 peak of fear that, that's boiling up in you. And I have gone I've gone through through a tremendous crisis myself in in 2015 following the divorce of my uh, then wife, and uh, that was just she told me five days before I started the presidency of the German Speakers Association. So that that was a a nice bonus to it, mm-hmm. uh, and. I have actually applied those energy psychology techniques, uh, one in particular called tapas acupressure technique, TAT, and it brought me within eight weeks from the deepest crisis of my life uh, to profound inner peace. And that was due due to a a multitude of factors. Uh, The one thing was that I'm I'm a controller, I'm a planner, I'm you know I'm I'm the the CFO of our companies. I I do the the budgeting and everything. So I know my way around different scenarios and building different scenarios. And none of those that I had in mind would have worked. I couldn't fathom what to do. So the only thing that I could do is accept the inevitable and say, okay, I have no clue. Life, show me where to go. And whether you call it life or God or universe or source or higher self or Buddha nature or whatever it is, I don't care. Find that point of uh, of comfort that that comforts you in your heart, and and lay your trust into that point and say, okay, show me where I need to be. And this is this this surrender, this letting go. And many people, especially high performers, worked very very hard on to solve a problem, and they found the solution the moment they let go, and they let they said, okay, good, screw this, I. I have no clue. And in that moment of relaxation or in a day, a day later or so, suddenly the solution popped up spontaneously. So NATO is exactly the way to go, not attached to the outcome. Put in your best what you can, but you are not responsible for the outcome. 
and obviously in our target driven environment in our in our corporate uh, world um yes of course we have objectives that we have to meet and so on but the point is let's have some fun about this let's create an environment where we actually want to be engaged and strive for the outcome do our best but if the outcome really comes is not determined by ourselves but this is depending on so many other factors uh, that are in our environment. We hope that you're taking away some valuable lessons from this edition of the Connected Leadership Podcast. If you would like support in developing, nurturing, and leveraging strong relationships to support you in your role, please visit andylapata.com forward slash mentoring. So, so do you think that we, we miss out on the opportunity to find solutions more quickly uh, and more calmly uh, because we get so immersed in crisis that we don't take the time out. So when you're working under high pressure, everything's fast paced. Nobody takes a break. Nobody walks away. And if if you then look at your blood sample, then the, the, the stress hormones are at a peak. And that is absolutely a counterindication to creativity and to innovation. Uh, we don't want to have that. So create for yourself a routine where you defuse those hormones. And for some people, it's digging their garden yeah, uh, or doing yoga or whatever it is. Find that what suits you. And for some, it's a spiritual practice. And for some, it's digging up their garden whichever way it is, but that what brings you peace and find that and cultivate that. Do every that a little bit every day or every second day, or, but regularly. But because this is, this is how we, A, get rid of all the hormones that are raging in, in those stress environments. Um, and B, we are building a foundation of resilience. We are building a foundation of, of calm uh, that of points of calmness that we can then connect to when we are in a crisis situation. Because then just thinking about digging up your garden is a point that will bring down your stress levels, even if you're not even close to your garden. So, so that, that takes us into visualization and, and, and its role in, in taking you away from the challenge. Is that a technique that you practice as well? Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Because what does visualization mean? We all do it all the time. We think about things and that's already visualization. The question is, do we do it deliberate or do we do on autopilot? And how is our autopilot geared up? Is it geared up for visualizing disaster or is it geared up visualizing opportunity and and innovation and possibility? And so let, let me get one thing one thing absolutely straight fear is a highly useful emotion and you might not be you might be surprised to hear that from me at the moment no not at uh, all uh, because it's but the question is who is the master and who is the servant because our in we are we are so as as human beings we are so geared uh, to take fear serious and of course, I mean, in, in the old ages, uh, if there was a, a predatory animal, 
uh, you better be fearful, yeah? yeah, because otherwise, if if you are, uh, even whether you choose to fight it or to or to run, uh, but the fear will keep you on your toes and alert and and ready to to respond in a, in an appropriate way. Now nowadays we don't need so much to be fearful about uh, unless you stand in a traffic crossing and the bus is approaching. Uh, maybe you get out of the way, yeah? sure. But otherwise, there are not so many uh, life-endangering situations uh, in, in our lives anymore. Uh, but, and that's why we are so geared towards negative news. Because negative news are absolutely critical for our survival. Positive feedback is nice, but get it or not, it doesn't really harm so much. But it does some harm by not getting it for our mental capacity, for our mental, for our emotional capacity. And so we want to focus on those things that uplift us, that, that really empower us. And I don't mean to deny reality. The first thing uh, to dealing with crisis is accepting what is. Because as long as we're struggling and resisting what has happened, we are giving away energy to that. And that's energy that we are missing right now in order to deal with it. So. The one of the uh, in the tapping uh, we use the opening statement, and it says, "Even though I have a problem with so and so, I deeply and completely love and accept myself." And the fun thing is, most of my clients with whom I work for the first time, they can't say that, because how often in our society do we say to ourselves, "I deeply and completely love myself anyway"? Uh, most of the people I talk to. The number is round about zero. We don't do that. And so the question is, why don't we? Because uh, the and and why I love this statement is it is this is one of the key principles of serenity, because it says I'm having a problem, but I'm not the problem. And normally we tend to identify so much with the problem that we are the problem, and we are not. So getting that distinction clear is already, this is a huge shifter uh, saying, okay, there, I have a problem. There is a problem, but I am not the problem. And in spite of having that problem, I'm accepting what is and all that, all the bad and the ugly, still, I, it's okay for me to love and accept myself just the way I am. I did the best that I could. Because when we beat up our, on ourselves endlessly, we are just harming our own emotional faculty, our emo emotional cap capacity, uh, and not doing any, any favor to either the situation, because it already occurred, nor to our potential uh, to actually deal with it, to make it better, to make it right, and to really create something positive from it. But we also don't by denying, right? That's why first acknowledge what is. What happened? That is there. Uh, and okay, so what do I do now? So, so really the stages are acknowledge, accept, don't personalize it, and then that creates the space for you right. to handle it in a calm, uh, right. calm way. And, and some like to bring in their intuition on top of it. Yeah. To say, you know, because uh, it's so easy to feel faulty in your humanity and, and that, that you, you don't have the capacity. And if you have the possibility to, to connect to something greater, 
as I said, life, universe, God, source, whatever you want to call it. And then say, okay, thank you for allowing me to understand this. Thank you for in inspiring me to see the solution. Uh, and then go, go through, and even if the solution doesn't pop into your head right away, go through the world with this, there is this, what you often see in children, the sense of wonder, the sense of miracle that, that, that is about the, the, the bounty of, of green leaves on a tree that, that, are, that are just blushing with, with color. And it's, it's, so, it's, so, it's so powerful. Notice those little things because this will open up your receptors to actually uh, enlarge your capacity to, to draw on ideas, ideas from different, different environments and different circles. But this is something that, that because oftentimes we attribute to life, to source, to whatever, uh, an infinite, infinite capacity that we don't give ourselves. And so it's much, sometimes it's easier to accept an idea from like a higher source, for example, uh, even though we could have come to it just the right way, the same way. It, a lot of it is about just creating that space and the mindset around creating your ideas. Space. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Viktor Frankl is a, a world-famous Austrian uh, oh, yeah. psychologist, yeah. and he says there is a space between event and reaction. And in this space, we have the freedom to create. And this, the, the quote is a little bit longer. I just used it yesterday in, in, in my talk, in, uh, but in, in German. So I'm sorry that I don't have it properly in English. Uh, but that's actually the thing. So uh, our reaction is determining the outcome to any event. And that was how he came to, to conclude in the concentration camp that he had actually more, more freedom uh, than his imprisoners. Uh, and the other thing is, there is a space between event and reaction. And the question for serenity is, how do I make that space bigger? How do I change from running on autopilot of having an automatic trigger uh, executed each time something happens to actually having the space to notice. And this is one of the benefits of meditation practice, uh, especially in Buddhism, because the, the focus is on this. So how can I extend the space that the emotion that comes up doesn't overwhelm me, but I see it coming? And then I have a say in whether, oh, is this anger actually now benefiting me? Or is it better just to let it pass? And anger is an, is an enormously powerful emotion. It can, it can release huge bouts of power in us to, to affect change and do stuff. Yeah? The adrenaline that, that, that rages through our body, it can, small women can lift up cars if necessary. We, we have seen all those examples or have heard of them, yeah? that people can actually achieve superhuman uh, feats uh, with, with the, the right emotionality in it. But the question is, how can I make this space bigger so that the emotion doesn't overwhelm me and, and just the, the wave carries me away? Uh, and then I, I stand in front of, of a broken situation that I don't know anymore how to fix it. Or do I have the, the space? Do I have the time and say, okay, hello? Uh, oh, no, this is making me really angry. So why, why is it making me angry? Do I want to be angry? Or can I just let it pass? Take a deep breath. Let it pass. And, yeah. 
small just, steps, small steps at a time. Yeah, but big results over over a longer period. You you, you mentioned Viktor Frankl, and I should say we, we've mentioned um, his, his famous books. It's obviously more than one, uh, but Man's Search for Meaning. We've mentioned yes. it on the podcast before. It's it's one of the best books I've ever read. Absolutely uh, brilliant. Careful not to get man's ultimate search for meaning because that's not one of the best books I've ever read. That's just a, a selection of his lectures and isn't as as engaging. So yes. uh, don't make that mistake. Um, but it, it, I can't recommend that enough. And, and I love that that quote that you, you shared from him. Um, I'm aware of the time and there's so much I want to talk to you about, but there's so much gold in there. Uh, there's one quick question I want to ask you, which you touched on at the beginning of that answer. You you came close to again later in the answer. <laughs> and I think it's something I want to explore. And then I think it will be good to share with people where they can find out more about how they can explore some of these techniques and some of these approaches if they want to uh, dig deeper as well. So, so the area I want to explore is gratitude. You mentioned that your mm. uh, compatriot in New York um, uh, set up a, a website. I think it was gratitude.org. Uh, yes. And then you touched on, you know, you talked about loving ourselves, and I think that's a gratitude. Uh, there's a large gratitude element in that. It just reminds me of a friend of mine who was going through a very bad time, uh, and and everything felt like it was going wrong for her, and in a big way at the time, mm. a number of years ago. And I had no grounding in this, but it was just an instinctive idea. And I bought her a journal, and I just said, just write in that journal once a day something that you're grateful for. And at the, you know, she turned around to me and she did it religiously and she just said that was mindset shifting for her. Yes. So so can you just talk a little bit more about about that and that gratitude and that how that helps a, a leader through a time of crisis just to keep them grounded and keep their, their eyes focused on, on, on the greater goal? Right, right. Um, I think gratitude is one of the, the key elements if we want to shift mindset. And the thing is that when we are in stress mode, then uh, monkey mind is going, going panicking. He's, he's going absolutely wild with all what could possibly happen and, and all ways that it could go wrong and even worse. Uh, and gratitude is the antidote to that. It will, it will bring us back from the brink of the cliff and just remembering there are actually so many things that we can be grateful for in every given moment. And, and I have an acquaintance, a friend of mine uh, in South Africa, uh, Rusty Labouchan. Uh, he is actually from Zimbabwe, and he was imprisoned there for a murder that he didn't commit. And he was imprisoned uh, in in Zimbabwe for 10 years. Horrendous conditions. And he is now giving talks on the topic of breaking chains. And he says when he is in the morning now thinking what he's grateful for, the list gets very long, very fast. Now, even that there is a blanket on his body is something to be grateful for. Even that you, you can open your eyes and you can see with them is something to be grateful for. And of course, it's, it's the stuff that happens to us personally, but even if there's everything seemingly going wrong, is 
there's so much beauty around us if we can focus on that and it's it's really about shifting focus uh, to to the things that that there's yeah, such an abundance such a multitude of things are going on outside and uh, go outside go into nature uh, breathe in uh, spend spend little kids playing what whatever it is and see what positive things are around you and be grateful for that because the moment where you where you are grateful for something uh, you have no condemnation in you and that that is it it shifts you inside and and another thing that i still uh, want to want to add that, that is a, a very very important uh, point for me it goes very much together with gratitude um, is that of a supportive network uh, in your social circuit the people around you have have a group of people who get how you, who who you are how you are what makes you tick and that are supportive of you no matter what having even if it's just one or two people who who do that for you is a huge 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 hugely important thing and it's a huge important thing that you can be grateful for as well but then we are back to networking and and creating great connections isn't it well, I was going to say that, given what I, I I teach, you know, I'm going to support you on that on that final point. <laughs> so, so if people want to explore some of the techniques that you've talked about in more detail to get some advice on that, yes. are there resources that you have that they can access? Are there other sites that you would point them to? Yes. Uh, what what I recommend that what what held me or what what helped me to get out of out of that ditch in in 2015 uh, is a method by a woman called Tapas Fleming and it's tatlife.com uh, is her website and you can for I don't know $25 or something you can buy the TAT 101 course there uh, which I can only absolutely strongly recommend I think this is this is a brilliant brilliant practice for me that technique has been a life changer and uh, I run now a, a living in serenity community group uh, where we meet uh, in German uh, three times a week uh, just to practice TAT and, and the change uh, you can see in just half hour uh, that as the process itself takes only 10, 12 minutes. Uh, the people un- come back to center. They are more focused. They are, they are more serene. Uh, this is absolutely brilliant. And for me, sometimes Doing that process is even better than uh, meditating for for forty minutes or or an hour. So this is this is something that I really wholeheartedly can only recommend. This is a great thing. Otherwise, find me on social media, um, slash en info will give you all my uh, my connection points. Uh, you'll find some resources there. Uh, so. Excellent. Feel free, reach out well, and, and uh, well, we, overall, we've been, have fun. <laughs> we've been rather lax in putting links into the show notes. I think what we'll do is I've made a few notes there and we'll get we'll Absolutely. get a few links to the books that we've mentioned, your website, um, uh, the, the Paul McGee interview uh, and TATlife.com. We'll get those into the show notes for people as well. Excellent. Martin, uh, so you, you kept it together despite losing your serenity nearly at the beginning um <laughs> and uh i i found it a, a, a very 
one of those conversations that, that just grew and grew and, and became more and more engaging. And I, and I hope that everyone else found that as well. So thank you very much for joining me on the Connected Leadership Podcast. It's my absolute pleasure. So thank you so much to Martin for joining me. Uh, you know, when, when I look back at what, what he shared with us, what he's, he's talked about there, I, I, I really think that the quote where he said, I'm having the problem, but I'm not the problem, is one of the things that stands out for me, recognizing where that gap is uh, between you know the, the challenge that you're facing and your ability to deal with it and, and taking that, that acceptance that you can't deal with everything but you can do the best that you can. And if you if you manage that, you can deal with things with, with, with much more serenity and calmness. Uh, and also that, that walking away, that ability not to just get absolutely subsumed by the problem uh, and being able to walk away because we've talked about it on the podcast before, that's where creativity comes from. Uh, I, I've mentioned before my, my, uh, my, my dear friend who, who left us many years ago, Kenny Harris, who, who talked on creativity and, and Kenny, I remember saying in one talk that he kept uh, uh, wipeable markers in the shower because that's where the best ideas came. So he'd wipe them on the, t- write them on the tiles and then wipe them away before his wife saw them. Um, so, um, you know, I think that's a good example of, we all know how we get some of our most creative ideas when we're walking, when we're cooking, in Kenny's case in the shower, but when we're not stressing over it and, and, and Martin back that up as well. So uh, thank you very much for joining me again. Uh, If you have found this interesting, please do share it in social media. You'll find my social media posts, which you can comment on and share, and you can connect with Martin through those as well. Uh, And uh, join us again next week for another episode of the Connected Leadership Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Connected Leadership Podcast. If you found this valuable, please subscribe. Tell your colleagues and friends, share on social media, and post a review on the podcast channel you use to listen to it. And of course, join us again soon for another interesting interview and great connected leadership tips.